0: hello and welcome you are listening to twin you where twins will educate you on the world's most pressing issues pyrex books pottery pike just things that are on my end table osprey perch (laughs) perch compared to sunfish pickled perch pickled perch is that a different kind of fish no Well, we started this podcast because COVID-19 had ripped us apart, but now that the Panini is coming to an end, well, at least in countries where vaccines are accessible, um, or states where people are getting vaccinated, (laughs) or states, um, or states, but, you know, we decided to continue because we have such a good time doing it, and it's a good way for us to hang out with each other Mm -hmm. uh, because we are so, so busy. This Is like literally the only time we get to hang out with each other? Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's worth yeah. it. Yep. Uh, yes, uh, Europeans, darling. Central Park, New York City, which is now a new thing we do because of Twin U. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, w- I can't wait till I start having days off again. Oh my god.
1: Pretty That's excited horrible.
0: about it. It's <laughs> Yep, I work seven days a week right now, which is fine. I love my job and it's important Uh for me to grind right now because we will see the benefits of that in two years. Oh, man. Yeah. But, you know, (laughs) like I said, um, I enjoy being in a job where I get to plan that far ahead. It makes me feel like I'm in control. So I don't know what that that. says about my personality. Um, I was actually just in a phone call with a recruit yesterday. And, uh, you know, I was talking to her and some recruits, especially ones that are on the younger side, tend to have their parents there when they are on the phone call. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a 16-year-old, I don't mind that because sometimes they don't ask the right questions and stuff. But I was like, I sent you a list of everything we needed. (laughs) She was like, "Um, I remember the list. I just didn't do the list. Right, right, right. But how are you doing, though? Like, other than the busyness, just in general, I just want to catch up. Like, emotionally? Yeah. Ew. Uh. <laughs> you should make your kid the point person for everything, FYI. Um, but we were talking about, you know, I was, like, to ask, tell them the email I was going to send them, all the information I'm going to include. And I was like, if you guys like to know anything else, is there any other information you'd like Information, you know, access to? And the mom goes, no, I think that that's a lot of information already. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) let me know if you want me to scale it back. I tend to be extra thorough. And um, (laughs) she's like, no, no, we're both type A, you know. And I'm like, yeah, it's funny because I always try to find a way to include that I have a wife in there just so people know right from the jump what they're dealing with. Mm. And if it's a problem, they just don't continue talking to me. So um, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm really type A too, as you can tell. My wife, on the other hand, is type Z. She's not even type B. <laughs> you know, She's all the way at the end of the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> like so funny. I was on my way back from a tournament once. It was like two, three weeks ago. And we were going to go on a date uh, when I got back. We, we always try to go on a date when I get back just because I've been gone. It's just like nice to reconnect. Uh-huh. And we were going to go out on the boat. So I sent her a list of the things that she would need to prepare. And we are going to have to meet right at 730 when I got back from Philly. So I texted her, and I called her, and I was like, okay, so can we meet at 730? She's like, oh, I forgot to do everything. Oh, my God. Taylor! Every single thing, like, did nothing. She's like, oh, my God, I forgot to do everything. I'm like, okay. So we had to pivot and do a home date instead. Well, mm, I am doing really well, I think. You know, like, because I'm so focused on work my emotional state has to do with how i'm doing at work too because um, i like to um uh, succeed sure. <laughs> but um i feel really good i feel like i'm in a good head space lately everything's kind of like happening the way that i would want it to i suppose um i'm my plants are doing really well which makes me happy I've been able to do, like, my intermediate weekly fusses, which I do a couple times a week, like, in half an hour, 45 minutes here and there, Um, just to, like, oh, this this one needs a dash more water, this one needs, has a leaf that's recently gotten yellow, that kind of thing. Right. This has some dust on it. Um, So that's been nice. Um, So, yeah. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Poodle. How are you? I'm better now. Oh, that's so nice to hear. (laughs) How's it going? I'm so excited to talk to you today. I know, right? It's um, the morning time, which is nice. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I actually have, you know, energy. My coffee, I made it far too weak. So that's that. Um, Daltypoo, our brother Dalton, is visiting for this week. Daltypoo. He's not here listening right now because I'm not sure if mom will let him listen to this episode um, now that, you know, with the awareness of the topic that I chose. Which um, you won't tell me. No. Um, <laughs> so he is, he's a fabulous little being um, doing his thing. He's got a pottery camp this week, which is incredibly cute. Um, what else? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty tired because kids are hard. Um, <laughs> work has still been busy, but this is, um, I my weekend. I had just had my weekend, so I'm a little bit more rested, which is nice. Uh, okay, I think that I'm in love. Ah, I am. I'm. I am in love. Did you already say it? Yeah, and it's the Aww. gross kind where it's like all I can think about kind of thing. <laughs> it's just, it's, I, I uh, never been in a situation where I've been accepted so much for who I am. That's amazing, and I won't make you talk any more about it. Thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> how, are, I, I, how Like, tell me about you. Like, I know we just talked about, like, your pup date, but like, how how's your how's your emo- how are your emotions? <laughs> I heard in your head you say she asked me about my emotions, so now I must in turn ask about her emotions. Oh my god, I feel like such a monster, but that is exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't really have any emotional updates for you. Still a little bit overwhelmed with the end of this uh, recruiting season is coming. I'm generally optimistic in tone, but I just want to let you know of a few things that are team chain- or you know new things happening that we haven't been able to catch up on number oh, okay. one wow okay i downloaded duolingo so i could practice my spanish oh wow cool cool cool, cool, cool. the only thing cool. with that is that the duolingo owl is incredibly persistent i regret signing up for notifications on that oh oh my god it's so persistent <laughs> it's like did you ever see that tweet that's like i'm in my house minding my own business and something breaks through the brick wall next to me like the kool-aid man and it's the duolingo owl (laughs) telling me i've missed missed my session (laughs) that is exactly how that owl behaves (laughs) yeah but honestly um, helped a lot i've just covered my unit on clothing so wow i didn't know you were doing that yeah yep so that's something i needed to update you on Um, okay what else (laughs) <laughs> but happy that you're um, feeling, you know, emotionally validated in that way. And also that, you know, one day hope to see you say that that's not disgusting. Uh, never. That it's- Oh, I'm starting a new workout plan. I think I told you this, but I've been eyeing oh, oh, yes. a specific fitness plan for some time, you know, months and months and months. And it finally went on sale because, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, me, a thrifty bitch. Um, you sure are. So I purchased it and it's got a cool nutrition plan. You know, I chose it because it's, it's for women who want a masculine muscle build. Okay. And I'm really excited about it because I've never seen something so niche that I also really identify with. So I'm yeah, you feel represented. represented. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> um, but it's been cool. It's very challenging and it integrates boxing. So that's something Ooh. Mm-hmm. Working on my jab. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And Sid used to box in high school. So he's teaching me all the different moves for boxing. And day one when we were training, yeah. um, you have like the punch mitts and you're supposed to when someone hits it, like let the, the glove glance off the punch mitt yeah. just so it doesn't like mess up your wrist. And I I didn't do it right. It glanced off into my face, <laughs> <gasps> knocked my glasses off my face and also the lens out of my glasses. The ones you just got? Yeah, but I put them back in. Um, and it's fine now, but <laughs> I, um, it didn't hurt. It was just shocking and probably a little annoying. I, it was only annoying because, um, you know, it's a tiny little screwdriver to open up the thing that puts the, you put the lens in and uh, my hands were so shaky. Cause I'd been working out for like an hour and a half. So I was like tired and shaky and trying to manipulate these, this tiny screw with this tiny screwdriver <laughs> with your shaky little paws. Yeah, so that's all the new stuff happening with me. Uh, Did you know that Michael Phelps sleeps in an oxygen-deprived chamber so his body works harder when he sleeps? Man, Olympians are different. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that bullshit? Like, why would you want to work out while you're sleeping? I Actually, that sounds kind of cool. Oh, dear. I'd rather go the other way, though. You can open your window and make your room a little colder so your body has to work harder at night. I'm like, why can't we have both? Why can't it be comfortable and you're working harder
1: <laughs> to get
0: hot. And I still but, lost so much weight. I, I couldn't keep it on. God, maybe I should start swimming. Honestly, no, I did not enjoy most. I enjoyed the hard work, but I, they were like, you just to swim in college. And I was like, are you fucking serious? I don't know why anybody swims in college. Well, <laughs> oh, people can say that for any sport, any sport. Ah, I don't know. It's like, it's like running cross country is such a mental sport. Cause I'm like, I'd rather just be chasing a ball. I'll still run. Huh, I'd rather just be at the dog park. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather hey, be chasing a ball. That's so fucking funny. Yeah. Cause it's like, a, it's like a task, you know, you can break it into small tasks. Like that is just, you're running, man. That's it. That's the, that's the destination. Ugh. I tried out for the swim team. I do recall and um they even tried to put me to the diving area and the guy was like you know you shouldn't come back and i was like oh (laughs) i remember that i felt so bad for you (laughs) you tried softball too you did your best i know he said uh i had the heart of a lion but (laughs) i wasn't a very good player (laughs) and i was like wow all right thank you for being honest i guess I'm not trying to like laugh at your suffering. It's just, it's just really funny being on the coaching side of that when you have to like, you know, you want to tell the kid there's something good about them, you know, before you cut them. And, you know, he picks that thing because it's true, but it's hard as an athlete to hear that because like, there's nothing that cushions the blow enough. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I think it's generous to say I'm an athlete or was an athlete because um, obviously I was not. (laughs) You did your best though. And tennis was okay. I was not good, though. I was the third. I was like third string. Yeah. I was like <laughs> that's, a goes, small team. Uh... <laughs> that's a small team to be third string. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be like the second to last person off the bench on a team that size <laughs> to be third string. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. I actually loved watching you play, though. I went to a, remember I went to a few of your matches, and I remember cheering so loud, just you know, willing you to get the point. You know what I mean? I know. And I never did. I love, no, you, you did sometimes. I mean, I I got better. You got a lot better. It was so fun to watch you play. (laughs) I remember how hungry you would get when you were done with swimming. Yeah. I just remember getting home and being like, cracking open a can of Chef Boyardee raviolis and just eating them before I could even put them in the bowl. Just just like fucking room temperature raviolis. Oh, my God. I was so hungry all the time. <laughs> I remember waiting, like, you know, I'd eat a couple, put them in the bowl to heat up in the microwave. I'd just be, like, insatiable. So i open up the fridge and wrench open a jar of pickles and eat, like, three pickles while I waited for the... the The guy who was coaching the tennis team at the time for the high school, he was, like, he once let it slip that he was, like, oh, yeah, I'm just doing this till they have room on the baseball team for me to coach and I was like oh she's like I don't really care about this and I was like why did you tell me that you're like I care about it please help (laughs) yeah that's okay I could go on forever on this and I'm afraid if I start talking about it you know we're not going to be able to talk about the topic but men coaching women's sports in general I am not a fan of um I barely tolerate it (laughs) (laughs) that's so much more than not being a fan of it (laughs) um and you know it depends on the sport like for example people will say oh you don't like men coaching women's lacrosse and i'm like not really no because they're like well what about women in the nfl you don't like that no because i'm fine with that because women's tackle football and men's tackle football is the same sport same rules same penalties same technique very similar style if a woman has played tackle football she understands how to coach men's tackle football if you're talking about women's versus men's lacrosse, a man has never played women's lacrosse. And it is so drastically different than men's lacrosse that I feel you could not possibly have the same strong foundation of coaching as the women who are entering the candidate pool. And mm-hmm. if you apply for a woman's position and you are a man who has never played women's lacrosse, you are taking jobs from women who have. And I fucking hate that. And you also wow. see zero crossover from the women's to the men's side, there are, there are, I don't know of a single woman who coaches in a men's league. Whoa. And you're going to hire someone that hasn't played women's lacrosse in college? Like, As what? College That's, That needs to be, like, my internship that I offer um, for our coaching staff, I can't put no men, but I can put that you have to have played women's college lacrosse to be in it. <laughs> so <laughs> if I could put no men I would say no men because the entitlement and audacity to think that you can produce the same and you know what this is different at the high school level because there just aren't enough women to coach at the high school level because it's uh-huh. not it's not an old enough sport and I think there are plenty of dads that are capable of coaching women's lacrosse at the high school level one scam he was part of during this time in his life was because he was a medical student, he would steal corpses from the medical department at his university and file false um, insurance claims about death and bring these corpses to the insurance company. So that's how you did it then. Um, Or prove the death or whatever. And he would keep some of the corpses for his own personal experiments. It wasn't really stipulated as to what those were, but I can't imagine they were pretty. Ew, 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 ew. (laughs) <laughs> it was so scary already. Um, so, this time in his life is also when he developed his moniker um, and preferred alias, Dr. Henry H. Holmes. And this is where H. H. Holmes comes from. So, he finished medical school in 1885 um, and he got a job at a pharmacy in Chicago. It wasn't long before he kind of took over the business, but the rumors are such that he murdered the owner. Um, yeah that's not substantiated but that's what a a rumor that was circulating was that's how he got promoted so quickly um so while working in the pharmacy um and generally doing all of these like shady con things like insurance fraud and literally stealing and also he had this one particular grift of finding women who were sort of like either desperate or single or whatever making that like causing them to feel like he was in love proposing they would accept and then he would have them sign all their finances over to him um while they were engaged and then they would disappear so uh it's really like this is why we really don't know how many people he actually murdered but that's something to keep in mind (laughs) he had does well not dozens but tens of uh fiancés that are no longer findable (laughs) Oh, <laughs> um, so while doing all of these like grifts and, you know, con jobs, he bought a vacant lot near the, um, the pharmacy and he built a three story home on it. So by 1888, this this home was built and um, it was called he called it the World's Fair Hotel, but it would later be dubbed the Murder Castle. Oh, the Murder Castle. Yes. <laughs> the reason the um it would be called the murder castle was because as you might expect there was murders that happened there but it was also built in a very odd way. There were rooms that led to nowhere, doorways that were bricked up, trap doors, um, rooms with like inlets for gas but no out like no ventilation. Um like okay. the the way that they had like mazes and uh stairwells that went nowhere it was meant to trick and disorient people who were in it um mm-hmm. and sometimes like there were there was rooms that were found by police later where the doors locked and there was gas piping in and everything was sealed so the gas was funneled in and that's how he would kill some of his victims god <laughs> So um it oh. was pretty much it pretty much became his like murder HQ okay um, so along with these unfortunate accommodations um, there was also a, a basement that was constructed specifically for dealing with the corpses so there was vats of acid okay. And- an incinerator was built just into the basement so that you could incinerate bodies. And then also there was like medical tables for dissection. So he basically built this like so he could perform the murders he was looking to murder like commit. Like he he wanted so this was basically custom fit for him. Yes, it was. He built he had this home built for him and he would hire contractors and then fire them halfway through jobs and so that they didn't catch wind of what he was doing. Oh my god. And I'm picturing the scene. I and I like I said, I know that the scenes in American Horror Story are meant to be awful. Mm-hmm. So I'm like picturing some of the scenes from hotel and it just really stuck with me. It was just so oh, I can't I don't even want to talk about him, but like it's I'm like picturing that and the amount of suffering that those primarily women were going through is just Yeah, he he was pretty sick. I mean, he had these rooms and he had these like you know, plans. And remember, like, half of what he was doing was experimental and murdery and all that, and the other half of what he was doing was con jobs. So it's like some of these murders, I think, were, or suspected murders, they're alleged. Um, Some of these alleged murders were out of necessity, and some were out of fascination. I don't like that fascination connected to murder part. I don't like that. No, nobody does. Mm -hmm. Um, So... As I said, um, it was referred to as the World's Fair Hotel. And the reason for that was in 1893, he opened his home for visitors of the World's Fair Columbian Exposition in Chicago. And this is when the World's Fair was a big to-do that had, like, amazing wonders that people had never seen. And because, of course, there was no Internet or television or way to express media besides, like, the newspaper, um, this was... A big deal for people so thousands of tourists from all over the country would come to attend the event and as such they would need places to stay so he had this hotel called the world's fair hotel and people thought okay cool I'll stay here unfortunately the reason that he had this as a hotel was because he was looking for people to con and also people to murder So um, it's suspected that hundreds of people went into his murder castle and many less came out. Many of which were women because they were more vulnerable. Uh, There's a lot of speculation as to what he did with all the corpses. And of course, they were all murdered in certain various ways. So like that could whatever he did with the bodies after um, had to be calibrated to what he did to them. I'm not going to go into the specific ways that he like allegedly murdered people because you're very sensitive to that and i don't want to overwhelm anyone but (laughs) um you know just to touch on extremely lightly um there was dissection killing by like i'm gassing people blood force trauma um you know trap doors opening and people falling to their death that kind of thing god damn so and like uh, to have to like to like be the kind of person that can think of that sort of stuff and separate it from the suffering that it creates. Like, oh my God. He was a scary man. Sounds scary, but scary enough. Like if you're a good con artist in that and a sociopath, you can be charming, lure people in and then boom. Oh, that's exactly what he did. Um, So theories about what he did with the bodies. And because there were supposedly so many, you got to imagine that like, It's a big house, but it's not so big that he can hide, like, dozens of corpses. So um, one theory is that he stripped the bodies of their flesh and sold their skeletal remains to science labs around the area and schools around the region. Um, He also used some of the corpses to commit insurance fraud. And then additionally, um, he would conduct his own experiments in, in the basement and throw their remains into acid baths. Which okay. were fairly effective in terms of, you know, and the incinerator too. These were all effective methods of removing or, you know, disappearing the bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's eighteen ninety four. The expo- the World's Fair, is not over, but still, you know, there is still stuff happening, but it's not like to the same level. And um, he, people are starting to catch on how shady he was. You know, because, like, people are disappearing. It's not like, it's, it's 1890, but it's not like, you know, it's not like people are stupid. Like, they're like, where are all of these people going? Like, this lady he said he was engaged to is gone now. Right. And now he's engaged to this other lady. What's happening? And the reason is because of this. So Holmes I was like, okay, I'm going to fake my death. It's going to be fine. I'm out of Chicago. No one will ever find me. And my business partner, Benjamin Paisel, will help me. So this was (laughs) his big specific. Yes, this was his big plan. He was like gonna fake his death and collect the insurance money because his business partner, Paisel, was going to um, get the money and then split it with him 50 50 or whatever. So this meant this plan was meant to be a fresh start for both of them because up to this point Benjamin Paisel was kind of like Holmes's right hand man. And he would help him with stuff. He would. He was like a handyman, but he would also like help him with various schemes. And I'm pretty sure Peisel was aware of the murders. Um, Do you think he helped at all? I don't know. I feel like what he really did was just didn't acknowledge it, you know? Like, he probably saw what was happening and then just didn't help anyone. Ugh. So he basically helped kill people then. Yeah. So... Um, this plan did not work. And the reason was that people were in the insurance industry were fairly wise to who AJ Helms was. And they're like, yeah, no, you're not dead. So they <sighs> just didn't accept it. So then they came up with a secondary plan, which was the same plan, except Paisal was the one who's going to be dead. Okay. Um, this one was less great for Paisel because while the plan was the same and theoretically ended in him being alive with money um Holmes had other insidious secondary like plans below the surface so he told Peisel that they would fake his death and split the money with the insurance payout um but instead he dosed Peisel with a lethal a lethal amount of chloroform and then set his body on fire oh my god that's very different than the plan yes the plan was not followed (laughs) um The accident made it like so the he did it so that it would seem like an accident or a suicide. The insurance company was bamboozled and did pay out to um, Holmes and um, Holmes was supposed to give half the money to the widow. um, But he obviously didn't because he's a terrible person. Right. Um, You know, for so many reasons besides money. So for (laughs) some reason. Joseph Peisel's wife allowed Holmes to take care of three of her five children. What? Yes, this is Wait. where it is. Okay, okay, hold on. Does she know about any of this? Like, is she? She's not suspicious at all. Is she desperate? Like, well, I mean, what she what what's she thinks that her husband and Holmes are con artists? Like, she doesn't think they're murderers. She's like, her oh. husband's dead now, and she thinks it was a terrible accident. Okay, she thinks that they're so. She thinks he's a bad person, but just like con artist, bad. Not like yeah, yeah. breaking people not, into walls, bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not like, you know, like super scary murder stuff, bad. Right, 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 right. Which is definitely yeah. Okay, so, and you know what? With her husband dead in that time period, you probably need all the help you can get. Yeah. So she let her three middle children. She kept the baby at home and the oldest daughter with her for whatever reason. And um, the three children went with Holmes and he was on the run. So he kind of took them all over the place. Um, It is still still seems like a questionable choice. I'm sorry. He's on the run. I know. He must have been desperate. She kept like apparently throughout the whole process, he kept telling her that like, you know, this is safer. You take half the kids. I'll take half the kids. We'll kind of go in parallel trajectories and they won't catch us. It's all about this insurance fraud stuff. Okay. So she's kind of traveling it at like a parallel path, semi close, and he's just like telling her little bits of information along the way and mm-hmm. she does start to get suspicious so, which is why she ends up filing a police report. Um, but she, he, he did end up murdering her three children. Oh my god. I will not tell you about how it happened.
1: You why? can easily find
0: it. Wait, is it really, am I going to think about it forever? I think so. Ugh, it's a tough choice. So I want to know, but... I will tell you half the information. Okay. Um, two of the children, the two girls, were found um, nude in a trunk, buried in the ground um, in New England. And the son i think his name was leroy um was found buried in a basement in philadelphia okay um so after the three children had been recovered um, he was finally apprehended in 1894 in philadelphia after being arrested by philadelphia police he was convicted of the murder of Paisel and suspected of the murder of the three children. He also confessed to an additional 27 murders, but he was nonsensical and kind of wild in the way that he was acting, whether or not that was for show or what. Uh, He uh, confessed to murders of people who were still very much alive. Okay. But but he was, you know, they think that he did that as a countermeasure to like find a way to make it seem like he didn't actually do all these murders, but Mm -hmm. um, he ended up being convicted only of Paisel's murder, but being suspected of murdering maybe even upwards of 200 people over his career, which admittedly, from what I can tell, is from 1887 through 1894. So that's not very long. (laughs) Yeah. So... He was executed in May of 1896, just days before his 35th birthday. And it's, we, you know, it's completely unknown how many deaths he's truly responsible for. It's speculated that the number is either in the hundred and somethings or a little bit lower. I mean, based on his pace, I feel like that could be true. Like there's sometimes when they're like, you know, show, you know, Serial killers of that time had so much, like you said, infamy that I think a lot of the time it might be fake. But uh, that seems like it could work, just based on the pace you're talking about here. Yeah, and because it wasn't like he he always just killed one person at a time, either. Like, there were sisters or something that he would... People would stay at the hotel and he would kill them at the same time, or, or at least that's the suspected thing. And he did, like, this is a known fact, that he would give or, like, sell skeletal remains... To medical buildings and hospitals and schools, so you know, like uh, skeletons come from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, like the no one was catching. Well, I guess that maybe is that why people were catching on in part, possibly. But he also said that they were not real skeletal remains and that he was fabricating them. Um, how how, how would you do I, that? I, I don't them, know. I do not know. I mean, plaster maybe. But I think eventually people were like, these look like real bone, and. <laughs>
1: You know, they're like,
0: these look really good, and like, he did a really good job. I wonder, like, you know, he how could he do such a good job? And then eventually they're like, these are real. <laughs> <laughs> wow, not an air, but also not an era known for its like medical efficacy, right? So, yeesh. So, that's the story of H.H. H. Holmes. Um, probably one of the first. Pro, prolific and known serial killers yeah that's scary and I feel sad for everybody that he killed yeah I feel well the people that escaped I kind of feel worse for them because they live well they did they're probably super dead now but I would guess yeah they they lived with that knowledge of what they escaped to yeah I mean I I don't know I think it sucks all the way around that's just really really sad and the animals too I feel bad for them Oh, my God, the animals, I always forget. Yeah. Mm. What a creepy kid. Can you, like, what a creepy kid. What a terrible person. Yeah, but, yes, yes, absolutely. But, like, what a creepy kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd be scared of, you know, flickering light, I feel like, would happen a lot walking around next to that kid. Like, if I was just in the kitchen and my child was a sociopath, like, I feel like I would, like, you would see me, like, face on at the cutting board and then you would just see like a shadow move quickly behind me (laughs) and i'd like turn the light on and be like hey herman get back upstairs it's past your bedtime (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah it's fucking scary yeah that's exactly how it went down yeah okay well that was a bummer and i'm sad now but expected you know an expected bummer. extremely interesting (laughs) but also sad because it's okay, death. So okay, okay. Are you are you ready? Yeah, I mean, I'm scared, but I'm ready. <laughs> um, I'm sure, like he's a white male, right? Like no one's paying attention to him. He just right, be- exactly. Yeah, he's 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 doing his own thing, but people are trying to catch wind because it's been, I don't know, like maybe like uh, five six years since he moved to Chicago, and things are starting to like kind of stack up on him. Right. Um, not to mention all the missing people um but he burned the house down for insurance fraud people were missing his business partner was missing and the insurance companies were starting to become suspicious um also yeah. he had uh approximately 50 lawsuits filed against him at this point um 50? for various things what's that like what what was he what were the lawsuits about um like fraud fraud of different variant, like varieties like from family members like where's my sister kind of thing or you know uh insurance fraud or uh, tax fraud or he was all around kind of like a shady you know uh bad dude so he thought the way that he would you know alleviate his misdeeds were to leave chicago so he's like, "I'm going to leave Chicago. It's 1894. I'm going on the run. This plan, d- this plan did not work." <laughs> so FFB. sorry. Yeah. Well, I have a breath of relief for you if you'd like it. Uh yeah yeah I'll take it. Yes, I would love to learn about that. Is it very? Right? I, I, I hear about that a lot when I watch shark attack shows. <laughs> um, it always comes back to shark attack shows, but. Sure does. Um, I love this topic. I think it's cool. I think it's a blend of science and, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's not really even a blend of science. I guess it's just mostly science, but it's cool (laughs) because it's a little mysterious. Okay. All right. Let's hear about this mystery. Okay. So before, I'm going to give you a very basic overview of what it is, define it for our listeners. And then I'm going to go through and kind of like go through all of the individual definitions and terms Mm -hmm. just so we have a better understanding of what i'm saying when i actually go in depth because there are there is a little bit of jargon here um it's pretty intuitive but i just want to make sure everybody knows what's going on okay so jackie yes jackie yes jackie Ashley. yes poodle hi Yes, yes poodle hi are you excited to learn about the phantom limb phenomenon today The phantom limb phenomenon, otherwise known as the phantom limb syndrome, is it's basically this phenomenon where amputees between actually a high percentage of them, like 80 to 100 percent of them um, after amputation experience sensory input from the limb that is now disembodied. I I already have a question. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is it just people who have been amputated or is it someone who has had like their whole leg chopped off by a shark? Um, well, that is technically an amputation, whether we like to oh. think of it that way or not. But oh, okay. it's also it's also found in those who are born without limbs entirely. So, <gasps> no way. Yes. So um, in the oh. most, for the most part, this um, sensation mm-hmm. is experienced for amputees, but also has been found to be experienced by those who are paraplegic, quadriplegic, you know, um, and otherwise. So it's not oh, fully sure. understood, but it's kind of hypothesize that it's caused by this activation of the somatosensory cortex, which I'm going to go in a little bit more. And the reason I bring that up is because mm-hmm. you still have a somatosensory cortex, whether or not you're born with limbs, you know, <laughs> and your body is systematically outfitted to feel things in those limbs and kind of carry sensory input to your brain, whether or not those limbs are around, you know, I have a follow up question. Sure. What was the cortex thing you said? What was that? (laughs) Um, It's called the somatosensory cortex. And what does that do? Um, I'm going to go into that right now. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. I was like, I need some background info. (laughs) Okay, so I have a whole page here on neuroscience background information and just obviously focused on the somatosensory cortex. Um, Before we really go into it, you need to know that there are two separate nervous systems that our body and brain use to connect to one another and take information from your limbs, your body, um, into your brain for processing. So the first thing, oh, is this a, wait, is this a lizard brain thing? What, what, you need to tell me what you mean? What do you mean by? <laughs> well, I, was, I was reading a book and like your sensory nerves are your lizard brain. Like, like, you react immediately to a situation because you like assess the danger level. Whereas like there's your human brain that's more like cognitive and like um, based on emotions and situational stuff. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely different types of functioning. Like there's that higher, higher level processing (laughs) where like making decisions Um, you know, like what am I going to eat for breakfast versus I heard a loud sound and I should run, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, this is a little different than that. I heard a loud sound, so I should run. Right. So, okay. Um, the PNS is the Mm -hmm. peripheral nervous system and the CNS is your central nervous system. If you had to pick like a really, really basic way to describe this division, Of your nervous system you could say that the cns makes up your brain and your spinal cord and the pns makes your 12 makes up your 12 cranial nerves okay oh you only have 12 nerves in your brain cranial nerves yeah um and and you know this also includes spinal nerves um which are called autonomic nerves but the real you know reason i'm saying all this is because we want to distinguish between nerves and tracts. so t-r-a-c-t tract um a nerve is something that carries information from your PNS to your CNS. Um, once you go in the CNS, you're talking about tracks. Okay. So like in your brain would be a track. So for example, um, the, some of the background that's important here is like, obviously we're talking about the somatosensory um, cortex. This is in control of how you perceive pain, temperature, touch, and pressure. and all that information is carried to your central nervous system, your CNS, through the anto or anterolateral system, which is a set of tracks, which is analogous to nerves, which carry information in the PNS. Does that make sense? It does. Does that change um, if you're hormonally male or female? You mean in terms of distribution? What do you mean? Right, because like I from what I understand, women have a higher pain tolerance, for example. Um, I don't know enough information about that to comment. Um, if I was going to, (laughs) you sound like someone who did a bad thing and you're being asked about it. (laughs) No, I just, I don't know enough information about that to really comment. I do know that we all have the same general setup, but if I was going to make a guess, I would say because of childbirth, women might have a different pain sensory pathway and tolerance. But I don't know enough about tolerance in general to kind of like explain that. Okay, I just I don't know. Yeah, that's 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 very intriguing. I would love to know more about that because I feel like that's true. Well, I think that's irrefutable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. I think I think that's a true thing. I just I don't have like a journal article in my mind. Like usually, when someone says something like that, I can like file through my brain and be like, oh, I remember reading this, and that's really. How do you do it? I don't think of it like that at all. I mean, well, I mean, I don't think of articles necessarily. I think of it almost as like a pictorial sort of situation. Like I kind of go back into my mind and I'm not doing it super consciously. It's just like when I'm thinking through something, a lot of times I think about something I heard or saw Mm -hmm. opposed to something that I read. Interesting. Yeah, I think reading words, like seeing words in my mind is sort of how I do it. Whoa. Like, I know studying, I, or for example, like my team, I know how to spell everybody's name. I know everybody's middle middle names because I've just seen them written, you know, and that that doesn't, that only takes me one time because I'm just like, okay, now this is filed away. Whoa. So interesting that we're twins and we have brains that are so different. Yeah. Talk about processing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? But everybody's different like that. Like some people like words, some people like pictures, some people need to physically, kinetically act it out. Mm mm-hmm. But OK, so the real main point of this is I kind of want to give you an idea of how stuff is transmitted and then where it goes. OK, so we know that these these tracks take pain and temperature information um, okay. to the primary sensory cortex. OK, this is located in the post central gyrus. And I'm going to define all of this um, in the parietal, parietal lobe of the brain. Okay, that is where all of your sensory information is represented somatotropically. Okay, and somatotropically. that is a big word. That's, That's a big topically. word for saying this is exactly... Ew, oh, I hate it. Yeah, but it kind of shows you all the way along the ridge kind of how much of this, you know, somatosensory gyrus is dedicated to body. You know, so it kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah. it's It's a very... Uh, surreal, surrealistic sort of drawing interpretation. Yeah, it is. But it, I think it, you know, it's, it's like a good way to almost graphically ex- explain how much of each, you know, of this section is dedicated to what. So I'm going to go yeah. into defining what a gyrus is. And remember, this is located on the post central gyrus. So I think it'd be easier for us to understand exactly what the gyrus is doing mm-hmm. or kind of like where it's located in the parietal lobe if we do a fun little kind of like pictorial example. So okay. what, I would, what I would like for you to do is take your poodle, point your fingers, okay, and put them at the top of your ears. Now, top okay. center, okay, going up toward the center of your brain. They should meet in the middle on top of your head. Okay. Okay, and I want you to point at that spot. Okay. Okay. So you can take your hand off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that line that you drew is mm-hmm. the gyrus that separates your parietal lobe from your occipital lobe, which is further back. Oh, is that why Okay, wait, that's where baby's heads are soft. Uh, yeah, that's because their skulls haven't fused yet. Oh. But also your brain is developing a lot when you're a baby. So above your temple, but kind of toward the back a little okay. bit more. Okay. And basically its function is to increase the surface, the spot where everything is laid out in that gyrus or that little cavern you know, kind of like if you looked at the Grand Canyon, it would be like on the sides of the Grand Canyon is where everything is laid out to receive information from, for example, your fingers, your, your hands, your arm, like it's all sort of laid out perfectly in what is called the sensory homunculus. And a thing to think about like uh, sensory homunculus, you can, people sometimes call the little man. And that's because, yeah, and I'll show you a picture. Mine is here. not a man. Yes, it is not a man. So this is a little woman. And she basically is laid out along this gyrus. And proportionally based on how sensitive each area is, um, that's how big the section is. So because Mm -hmm. your forearm is less sensitive than your fingertips, your forearm has less room neuronally in that section to perceive information than your fingertips do. Right right now I'm going to send you a picture. Okay. Okay. And I want everybody to, if you have the time to look up um, this sensory homunculus and it's just, it's a really easy diagram. There's two different ones that are circulating around that I think are the easiest to understand. Um, The one that I'm sending you is actually a pictorial representation of what it looks like inside of that gyrus, but there's also one that it looks like a little dude basically with his big Now, you know, your brain is divided into a right half and a left half. Everybody's pretty familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And in order to pack as much, you know, neuronal processing as possible into your brain, there has to be all these ridges and folds, which is why when you see a picture of a brain, there's all those like little zigzags and swirls. And, you know, it kind of looks like someone had taken almost like, I don't know, intestines and kind of crunched them up in there and they made a brain out of it. (laughs) That is exactly how it looks. Yeah, actually, fun fact: the brain, your brain is pretty much the consistency of a little bit harder than toothpaste. That <laughs> is disgusting. Isn't mm-hmm. that kind of crazy? That's horrifying. Okay. So now that we have that horror, um, remember we talked about this somatosensory cortex mm-hmm. being located in the post-central gyrus. Okay. Sure it is. This is an extremely prominent gyrus in the lateral parietal lobe of the human brain. So. It's in that little, you know, canyon, as we'll call it. And in that canyon, along (laughs) the wall, um, you have your primary primary somatosensory cortex. Mm -hmm. And this is where the sensory homunculus or little woman (laughs) is located. Yes, the little woman. Little woman, okay. And to go into it even further, if we're just speaking broadly in the primary somatosensory cortex, Um, This is sort of where all the tactile representation is arranged in order um, from your toes all the way to your mouth. Okay, so remember the picture I sent you of where everything is kind of arranged. So it goes all the way from your toes to your mouth. And actually, what's kind of cool and a lot of people kind of joke about like foot fetishes and stuff like that. The reason they think that's true and they're so like it's one of the most common fetishes is because your toes is like where it's represented tactilely and where you, you know, pressure, temperature, everything is incredibly close. In fact, right next to your genitals. So if there's any neuronal like touching or, you know, because our brains are so plastic, there's going to be some changes. It would make sense that the firing in your genitals would be affected by your feet and otherwise. Ew. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So that, you know, because some of these body parts might be controlled by, you know, partially overlapping regions of this part of your cortex. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm a little horrified by it, but it also makes sense in terms of the brain stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, the other thing is too, which I, I guess for me, I think it's cool to know, but also it, I don't want it to complicate things too much, but it is kind of crazy. So This representation of like, so like you have a right and left hand, right? Sure do. Okay, this, on one side, you'd think the right half of this controlled your right hand and the left half of it controlled your left hand. Right? You would think that, but actually it's called contralateral. Yeah, And it represents each opposite side of your body. So what controls your right hand is your left, the left half of this. What controls your left side is the right half of it. So it's contralateral. Why? I don't know. Same thing with your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know why that's more evolutionarily convenient. That doesn't make any sense to me, but it is what it is. Hmm. So because um, if it was half and half, they could just cut you in half and you might be able to survive. Yeah, but if you cut you in half, like if you cut the left half of my brain out and I only had the right side left, the part that controls my right hand would be fucked up. So really you cut me in half and I'm totally useless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would die anyways from blood loss and stuff. Yeah, t- totally true. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and just to make sure this, this is hitting home, the um, amount of the you know somatosensory cortex devoted to each part of your body isn't proportional to the size of the body surface but to the sensitivity of that body part, right? So you have more space devoted to your hands and your fingertips than you do your forearm or your lips have more sensitivity than the trunk of your body. Wow, the trunk of your body. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what else to call it. I think that's pretty accurate. Trunk. Okay. And how do you feel about, you know, the sensory homunculus little woman thing? Are we on the same page about that? Or do you want a little more information? I feel all right. I mean, I feel like maybe I won't, I'll have to continue to ask questions, but I don't feel totally out of the loop. Okay. So that means that we have a good understanding of the basic neuroscience, at least as far as like layout and structure and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, is concerned. So we can talk about the actual phenomenon. Yay. Yay, we made it. (laughs) Yay, we made it. Now it's time. (laughs) Okay. So the phantom limb phenomenon, also known as the phantom limb syndrome, um, Mm -hmm. basically there's sensory input indicating pain from a part of your body that is no longer existent. It is not connected to you. Either you've never had it or it's been amputated. Okay. But you're still feeling it, which is the craziest thing. And 80 to 100% of individuals who've had an amputation experience – Um, the amputation experience. Um, It's like the Joe Rogan experience. It sucks just as much. It sucks just as much. Um, So they still experience uh, sensations in their amputated limb. Um, But it's not like fully understood, right? It's just kind of hypothesized by a couple things that, you know, could affect it. But it's hard to know with this kind of stuff exactly what it is. But there are some very, you know, sensible theories. Um, The one that I think is actually... The most sensible is that it's caused by activation of the somatosensory cortex due to plasticity. So plastic, mm-hmm. meaning your brain can mold and change in shape based on its need and what's used most. So if I am missing my left arm from the elbow down, mm-hmm. my body is used to dealing with that hand. So I'm not receiving real information from that left hand anymore. However, I still have a section of my somatosensory cortex that's dedicated to it and feeling it. So... That means that's some kind of free real estate for anything in that section near that hand to encroach upon. So if I were to, <laughs> for example, like maybe, I don't know, something stupid, like what's near there. I and mean, we look at the picture. Um, so my eye, for example, is close to my index finger. And that'll be true on my right and my left hand, contralaterally. Um, and maybe if I touch my eyebrow, but I don't have a left hand anymore. I might feel something in that left hand because maybe the eyebrow sensation has kind of crept into the somatosensory section that used to be dedicated to my left hand. So like your, so your, it remembers? Mem- memory is a kind of a good way to think about it. Um, it's it's <laughs> more like, you're like not right at all though. No, no, It they actually have called it repressed memory in those limbs. Because there are some things that you can feel you know people have experienced feeling. Um, for example, you know, people have felt uh, a couple pain sensations, like like nails digging into their palms, but Oops. they kind of call this a repressed memory. I mean, they don't kind of call it. They call this a repressed memory in a phantom limb that okay. you know could be could explain the reason for existing sensations after amputation. For example, if I remember my brain, and when I say I, I mean like the neurons in my brain. When my neurons remember a pain that I've had in my hand, like we'll go with the left hand example. Maybe I dropped a weight on it or something. Mm. Everything that you do is recorded in your brain in some ways. That kind of helps you avoid future pain. So I know what that pain feels like, you know, because it happened to me and I don't want it to happen again. So, Right. If I no longer have my left hand, but that neuronal path exists and something near it, because everything's done with, you know, ion exchange in neurons, if something near it creates an excitatory response um, Mm -hmm. in, you know, those neurons, then I could feel that pain again, especially if that memory, that repressed memory is in a section of my brain that's being encroached upon. By neurons that are being used more because I don't have that thing anymore damn isn't that kind of wild it doesn't make I mean it makes sense like it makes sense the way you're explaining it is logical and stuff but it's also so bizarre because you would think that your body would just be like a plant like you lose a leaf you lose a limb you cut off that like supply or anything to like repair that leaf because that's already gone And you focus all your energy on the stuff that's doing well
1: like you would think it would be like
0: that but it's not like yeah yeah it's it's different and you know what sometimes like you know during my research it kind of it pointed out that a lot of these sensations usually resolve within two to three years oh Um, (laughs) just because you know the repressed memory thing you know if we're talking about memories just in terms of neuronal pathways Eventually, maybe that is what happened, you know, like you're saying with the plant leaf. We kind of you're bringing in your body or dedicating resources to other things, and they just let that atrophy. <gasps> <It's> scary, yeah. <laughs> but if you're not using it, you know, atrophy though,
1: that makes so, sense.
0: But, yeah, so these are pains. I want to talk about that a little bit more and some of the other okay. sensations that people tend to feel after amputation. Um, they call, and just so I can, I'm just gonna, uh, kind of shorthand this really quick um it's called plp phantom limb pain oh Um, plp plp um it's like the opp but it's plp instead (laughs) lpp what is the rap thing i don't know i don't know okay so people also feel as if they're gesturing they feel itches they feel a twitch even or even try to pick things up with that hand (laughs) isn't that crazy
1: so you know
0: This is in addition to feeling that PLP phantom limb pain. Okay. Um, And often, which is, I thought this was really crazy, the missing limb for them often feels shorter and it may feel as (gasps) if it's like distorted or in a painful, like clenched position. Oh my God. And that must be some, well, is that like some kind of psychological thing? Um, I think just, yeah, indicatively because of, (laughs) <laughs> everything psychological starts in your brain and all of that starts with whatever pathways you've made and all of that begins with memories that you know memories are pathways pathways are memories okay well yeah i guess what i mean is like like placebo like uh, i'm trying to think of a way to like describe it like trauma like it's all brain stuff you know it's not like trauma is touchable Does that make sense? Yeah, that actually does make sense because this pain can actually be made worse by like stressing anxiety and weather changes. So if it would stand to reason if stress and anxiety can exacerbate these feelings, then it could be trauma related too. I mean, those are things that are pretty stressful. So Hmm. this is just so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. and, And, you know, just kind of delving into some of the other factors that could, you know, exacerbate or affect it. Um, you know, like extreme weather conditions, ha- having like lots of exposures to that, like especially below freezing temperatures has mm-hmm. been shown to cause an increased sensitivity to the sensata- or sensation as well. And this oh. is, you know, very additional. Like, you know, the more you feel it, the more you feel it. You know what I mean? So like if you lost your ha- your hand to frostbite or something, that's... I don't think more significant than if you like got it chopped off or something? No, no, I mean like actual weather. Um, It's not the weather originally that, it's not like the weather originally that created the sensitivity. It's just that extreme weather conditions. It's like during a low pressure system, you might get a migraine if you're someone that's susceptible to that. Mm -hmm. But below freezing temperatures kind of force your body into survival mode in different ways. So that can cause increased sensitivity Um, to sensation in an amputated region. Like picture maybe like last year, you lost below your left elbow, everything below your left left elbow. And, you know, you're in an environment where you're in a freeze like maybe like a Loft pass situation or like a Donna party situation, you're in below freezing temperatures. And, you know, that can cause increased sensitivity in general. But if you've only lost your limb a couple years ago or a year ago, you're mm-hmm. still used to perceiving pain in that area. So if you're in a, if you have pain sensors tripping all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, in every part of your body, then it would be a normal thing for your brain to be like, okay, also pain in the lower left limb. God, right, right. Because you're like, also, you have these sort of like, you have memories, too, of, like, what it's like to feel pain and how that, ex- like, how you experience that, like, emotionally and right psychologically. So, generally, those things are associated. If one of your feet is cold, it's because both of your, your feet are both generally cold. Right. And then some of this overflow of information, and I'll call, like, you know, temperature or anxiety, you know, overflow of information can be perceived as pain by your brain. Wow. So if it's too much, you know, there's a lot of things firing at one time or whatever. Um, This, like, motor output Mm -hmm. is amplified um, due to having a missing limb, too. And, and, you know, the patient could, whatever patient, like, the person might experience, like, all this huge overflow of information as pain. Because that might be the easiest way for your brain to process what's happening. Oh, right. It does make sense because, like, you go to whatever is the easiest to conceive of first, based on your natural expression of shit. Like, yeah. I always go to anger first. Right, exactly. Wow. So, someone who has this sensation isn't damned to this for the rest of their life. They could possibly, in a way, grow out of it. Yeah, I think um, it seems like most cases, it's like a one to three year, like, you'll feel these things. There are some cases where they experience intermittent pain and sensation for longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does kind of seem like your body does adjust because of your, your brain's plasticity. Um, the last thing I have is just sort of the, the timeline of the discovery of this phenomenon and kind of where we stand at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the term phantom limb was coined by Silas Mitchell in 1871. And for a lot of years, the dominant hypothesis was um, that there was some kind of irritation in the PNS. Um, at the amputation site Ugh. Um, by the 1980s like late 1980s this guy uh, Ronald Melzack recognized that uh, the peripheral amputation site couldn't be correct uh, this was just because the thing we talked about earlier people born without limbs also experienced phantom limb pains so it wouldn't make sense if the amputation site was the cause of the sensation you know what I mean right Right. So, oh, that would have yeah. really- been be consistent or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. according to Melzac, this experience um, that the body, you know, it, it's kind of because there's this huge, wide network of interconnecting neural structures, which he ended up terming the neuromatrix, which I think is just oh, like a really cool, fucking cool way to say it. So, he's like, yeah, you know what? There's so, so much cool. interaction happening neuronally in your body. We can't just say it's like this one site. He thought because of this interconnected neural matrix that you know, something else was a foot. Yes. Like, uh, like Neo was trying to make, trying to, uh, save the day. Right. So something else I just wanted to, uh, <laughs> I almost wanted to make a joke that said, you know, something else was a foot or not. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you? This was I don't deal. know. I didn't want to cut you off. No, no, this is good. Uh, this is, you, you did tell the joke. <laughs> yeah, I just want to make sure you heard it. Um, Okay, so uh, the next group of researchers that took their shot at figuring this out was in 1991, and it was um, led by PONS. I don't have the first name of this person, but it's basically, there's a study from PONS and colleagues from the uh, National Institute of Health, and um, they were studying uh, macaw monkeys that undergo <laughs> substantial reorganization after a loss of sensory input, or like a limb. So they were noticing some things about these monkeys, they were like, Wait a minute, <laughs> they are able to reorganize how they're perceiving and feeling things in their brain. Somehow, their brains are able to reorganize after the loss of a limb or whatever. So, um, humans are pitiful. Humans are pitiful. <laughs> so, in the same time frame, this guy, and I am gonna have a super hard time saying his last name. And his first name, actually, um, so <laughs> his whole name is really hard to say. I I do not even know what nationality he is, but okay, he heard about this study, and his name is Villa Yanner Ramachandran. <laughs> okay, maybe he's Indian. He could be. He could be. Um, I am not sure, but he's super smart guy because he heard about this study with the National Institute of Health and these monkeys and was like wait a minute I wonder if this phantom limb phenomenon and this phantom limb pain and sensation could be due to reorganization in the human brain um, and it's somatosensory cortex like the monkeys are doing it our brains are similar that's got to be part of what's going on oh wow okay do you want to hear how they tested it (gasps) I do but I'm nervous they rip off legs of monkeys (laughs) um no it was not like that at all which i am super grateful for because i didn't even consider that that would definitely be against the ethics like you're i mean killing <laughs> scientific experiments do have some set of ethics and i don't think they could just rip the legs off of monkeys <laughs> that's just, i'm picturing like i'm a car someone holding one side and someone else just ripping its leg off. no oh my god that's so sad and i don't really don't think that happens like god i fucking hope they don't so this uh ramachandran and his colleagues uh illustrated their hypothesis by showing that if they actually like touched certain parts of the face um it led to perception of being touched at the missing limb so remember my example about the eyebrow and the lower left hand that i mentioned earlier yes that was because of this so you know they, because those two spots are so close in your somatosensory cortex, they were able to touch certain parts of this person's brain and this amputee and get a sensation in that limb, even though that limb no longer existed. Whoa. And it was corroborated by later brain scans of these little monkeys, um, that they also, they definitely had reorganization of their, of their cortexes. So, um, I'm sorry. Uh, It was corroborated by later brain scans of the amputees that showed efficacy of the monkey experiment because the reorganization was analogous. Oh, God. The the whole idea of it being called reorganization throws me for a loop. (laughs) Why? I don't know. It's just like I kind of imagine like your nerves and stuff inside your body just sort of like running around different filing cabinets. (laughs) Right, right, right.
1: They're like, oh, we
0: need to get on a new system. This one's ancient. They have, like, (laughs) dial-up. They're just waiting, tapping their fingers, drinking from the water cooler. Get off the phone! Yeah. (laughs) Nobody understands it anymore. And there's a couple other, um, you know, theories of this. I hate them both. (laughs) And you want to know why? Okay, this other one is, like, they literally say it's the phantom limb pain is a result of junk inputs from the peripheral nervous system. And there's also this theory out there that some, you un, like, part of DNA, they, we've only, we can only code certain sections of DNA. It's, like, not even close to the whole human genome or the whole genome. And they refer to it as junk DNA. And I'm like, it's not junk DNA. You just don't know what it means yet. <laughs> like, stop saying stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds, like, kind of icky. Yeah, I'm pissed about it. I don't like it. But I'm pissed about it. So, that oh, is God. So that's the that's the phantom limb and plenty more information where that came from, but that is just the basics of it. I think it's super cool. I think it's also really cool because it makes me think about people, amputees, quadriplegics who, and this is going to sound like I'm clearly married to someone who has a serious interest in sex psychology and sex in general, you know, just like the historical implications and whatever. But after talking to Taylor for a long time, forever being married, I'm now thinking like this is great for quadriplegics because that means that they can also have a healthy sex life with stimulation in other parts of their body that aren't the places that are paralyzed you know what I mean for sure for sure I mean people with disabilities or um you know physical limitations like they don't not want to have sex they're regular people with personalities that yeah want everybody wants to get laid (laughs) yeah for real everybody wants to get fucked get fucked I was gonna say to fuck everybody wants to get laid you know so I think this is so cool because you know I I don't like that anybody's in pain but it is cool to know that there are different parts of your body that you could stimulate to get the same general region stimulation. That's pretty cool. Can you do that for people? Wait, it only works. What? That only works for people who have not lost a limb, right? Like you couldn't take a person who's fully intact and, you know, stimulate their eyebrow and it cause another reaction somewhere else. You could. I mean, It's all, like, it's all a game of, like, what's necessary. Your brain's not going to allocate funds, in a way, (laughs) to reorganizing how everything is if you don't need to. But also, 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 the foot fetish thing that we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. there is always going to be some partial overlap. Not always, but most of the time, there's some partial overlap. Like, I don't know if you've ever been tattooed on one spot and you feel... Like the pain in a different part of your body for like one prick of a pin, mm-hmm. that's just because might something might be close. There might be some overlap. Yeah, I mean that's there are so many things that are like that, you know. Like that's yeah. why people do um, acupuncture, right? No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay, I was like, oh god, do I sound stupid? No, no, no. Sorry, I had one of my recruits just emailed or texted me, and it came up by computer, and I she asks me a thousand questions a day so I was like worried something was wrong he asked me a thousand questions a day (laughs) Uh. well Ashley thank you for teaching me about the phantom limb no problem thank you for teaching me about another serial killer (laughs) have I even have I taught you about any serial killers already I think I just talked about him as far as serial killers you know what you have and it was Elizabeth Bathory. So. Oh, right, 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 right—the blood contest. But I love it each time. So continue. Cool, cool. Well, um, love you, poodle. Um, can't wait to do this again next week. Yeah, I I sure love you, poodle. And you know who else we should say we love? Our our wonderful listeners, all thirty of them. Thank you to everyone. No, who's it listened. might be more now. Who knows? It could be. You could tell your friends. If, if you could, wanted. you can tell your friends. If you felt so inclined, we're not going to push you. But if no. you wanted, <laughs> you we could use the numbers and they directly affect our emotions. So <laughs> they do not. But if you want, you could also tell your pets and they can listen with you as well. They won't be recorded, but we'll still be thinking about them. Yes, we'll still be thinking about them with love. Even, even. Love <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Twin You. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.